Welcome to Ecobolic Radio, a listening experience dedicated to making the world stronger, one conversation at a time. Because strength is never a weakness. Welcome to Ecobolic Radio with your host, Derek Witzke. In today's episode, we sit down with UFC Bantamweight fighter Gina Mazzani. We talk about her most recent victory in Shanghai, China, as well as what it was like to overcome a broken toe to win that fight. We talk about the emergence of female fight sports and the dedication it takes to leave everything behind for the risk of athletic adventure. All right, Gina, welcome to Ecobolic Radio. Super stoked to have you on the show. We're going to talk about a little bit of everything today. How are you doing? I'm good, man. I'm good. I finished my morning training and just waiting around for my for the for pro practice. Just another day in the life. Another day in the life. So, how many times a day are you training right now? Um, I'll so I'll train at least twice a day, sometimes three, but the third one will either be like you know a stagnant like cardio type thing or um, just strict drilling. So you know not. Nothing too crazy, but yeah, like two to three times a day. And how do you break up your training in a given day? Is it set pretty much every day has the same sort of structure or is it a little more free flowing? Um, I have a little bit of a structure, uh, whereas my, the pro practice is always the same time at three 30 every day. Um, and then, uh, depending on what my goals are, um, I have, I usually have a pretty decent structure. Like if I'm getting ready for a fight, I usually need to add in uh, extra cardio just to get my help, get my weight low. And so I usually do something in the morning and then I'll I'll either do like fasted cardio or I'll do, and then I'll do my morning practice and then, um, pro practice or, you know, I'll do my cardio at night or whatever, but it really just depends on what my goals are and what I'm doing and how I'm feeling and all that. How it rolls together for the day. Now you're fighting right now at the bantam weight, correct? Yeah. And so when you have to cut weight down or when you have to get into shape for a fight, how much weight are you shifting between what is considered your training weight and your fighting weight? Um, so usually, so I, I walk, I mean, I can walk around like, I mean, I guess well, anyone can walk around heavy if they want, but, uh, um, I naturally like probably walk around 155, 160, um, right now because right. I want to, I want to fight, uh, as much as I can right now and just kind of be ready. I'm trying to walk around 150, 155. I usually start my cut, like fight week. Um, it's good if I get there and I'm about 150. So about 15 pounds. Okay. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's ideal. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Now, you made the move to Las Vegas, but you sort of made it in a couple steps. Like, you left Alaska, you went to school, and you went to school out in Seattle. And then from Seattle, you made the move to to Las Vegas full-time, where your brother currently lives and trains as well. What was the process for Mm -hmm. you getting from Alaska out to Vegas? And I know that you went to graphic design school when you're in Seattle, but were you training when you were out in Seattle as well? I was, I was training at a Ivan Salivary's gym, but it was just, I, I'm kind of, I don't know, looking back, I wish I would have just grinded it out a little more, but I, I was, uh, cause I was working, I was working a bunch and I was going to school and I was training. So I didn't really get to compete as much as I would like to. And looking back, I really wish I would have put in more time in competing. Um, 
but uh, I don't know. I was pretty much focused on school. But yeah, I was training the whole time when I was in Seattle. And when you made the move to Las Vegas, did you make the move with it in your mind? Because I'm thinking back to like what I did in my own career, and I'll draw some parallels in a second. But did you make the move to Las Vegas knowing that it was going to be solely focused on pursuing an athletic endeavor? Was like that the reason to go? That was 100% my reason. Because um, I, you know, when I, when I finished school, I pursued my degree. Um, and I remember like sitting at, the you know the desk I thought I, the desk that I worked at um I, I was sitting at work and I was just I, I one day I said to myself I was like man I, I'm so excited for the weekend like I'm every you know every every week I just couldn't wait for the weekend and um which is bullshit because you should look forward to Monday Monday through Friday like whatever your craft is getting better yeah. at it you know and I realized that's such bullshit to do to myself so I just I ended up uh just sell it like I had a house full of shit and I sold it all and like literally fit what I whatever I could fit my Ford Focus that's what I took to Vegas and my animals of course but um but yeah that was 100% the main reason because I you know pursued my degree I wasn't really happy and um the whole time when I was working I'd always have fights playing or you know fight podcasts or whatever the heck but um I knew I would hate myself if I didn't pursue it you know what I mean 100%. In fact, when I look back on my own athletic career, so when I left university, I went and took a job at Eastern Michigan, and I was a a track and field coach and a strength and conditioning coach, but I still felt like I had a lot left in reserve, and we would have been about the same age. I was probably 25, 26 at the time, and so very much Mm -hmm. like yourself, I took a Honda Civic hatchback with everything that I owned. Ooh. And yeah, it was, I was styling and, uh, and I took that and I moved to Ashland, Ohio with the sole intent just to see how far I could take that athletic window before it naturally closes due to age. And I think mm-hmm. it's always been something that I noticed. I, I remember watching and, you know, obviously because I'm friends with your brother, I knew it was happening, but when you made the transition to Las Vegas, I found it really curious because I was able to sort of watch the process purely from an outsider and, you know, and your brother was already fighting and he had had some success and he was getting ready at that point too, to sort of make those big runs down to South Africa and do quite well in the EFC at that point. And so it it was, it was really exciting for me as a coach to watch you guys do that because I'd done something extremely similar in my own life, you know, just a handful of years earlier. I don't know. I just feel like too many people um, think that there's a certain structure that we all have to do. And I'm like really happy that I have people in my life that are supportive of me pursuing a career that probably isn't a very smart career, like getting punched in the head for money. And then I feel like I can only do it till I'm like 35 or something. You know what I mean? Like, I don't right. know, but it, but I'm, I'm really happy I did it and I wouldn't change it for anything. Now you, you bring up an interesting point because a lot of people don't typically have the support systems in place emotionally or financially. It doesn't matter, but your family back home in Anchorage has always seemed very supportive of not only yourself, but your brother's pursuits as well. And how big of a role does having like a really good family structure or a really supportive family structure play in you pursuing these goals? Um, honestly, 
and this may sound terrible, but like not a big, not a huge, it's not a, I don't think it's a huge game changer. I think, I, I mean, I, I think it's definitely, you know, benefited me more than anything, but I, but this, I mean, coming out here, like my parents didn't pay for anything for it. Like I, you know, I, like I financially supported myself and, uh, so, and that's where I think a lot of people's, um, families help them. They do get a little bit of a little bit right. of financial support for chasing their dreams and, you know, good for them. That's great. But, um, it is, I, I guess it is nice knowing that like my, my parents are, you know, just supportive of whatever makes me happy. And I feel, I mean, I am very lucky to have parents like that. Um, I, right. I, I think one, one that is a game changer is that my brother's also in the sport. My brother's my best friend. And so it's like, right. I think, I think that is a game changer and that's something kind of special that it doesn't come around too often, but, uh, um, yeah, <laughs> no, I agree a hundred percent. And I know with my brother and I, we were fortunate to be able to play the same sport and we were much like yourself and your brother. We competed to, to a degree simultaneously and it, it definitely is a game changer mm -hmm. when you can have somebody like that, that you can actually sort of go through a bit of the struggle with because it always makes you feel like you got somebody in your corner a little bit when it really does get a bit shitty. Right. And Oh, for sure. When, yeah. And, and I can imagine because they can identify with it, right? So they can see it. They know what it feels like. And you're not having to fucking explain to a stranger how shitty and hard being a professional athlete can be, you know, and, and that's a, that's right. a big part of it. So when you made the transition to Las Vegas, where do you train at now? And who is sort of in your, in your background in terms of coaches and people that you get to work with on a daily that are helping you sort of reach this next level? Um, uh, my, my main, uh, MMA gym is extreme couture, uh, Randy Couture's gym. I have my coaches over there, Dennis Davis. Uh, he's like my overall MMA coach, um, the game planner, and just kind of, he's like my Jesus in a sense. Um, he, uh, and then uh, my, my coach, right. Nate Pettit, uh, he's like my, my hands guy. And then I have a, a good, we, we, I, the thing I love about Extreme is that, like there, we have so many teammates. Like we have, so many bodies to work with, which means like there's so many people to learn from as well. Um, but, uh, and then I also have access to, uh, right. the performance Institute, which UFC opened up back in March. Um, and that's, a, that is a fucking game changer because there's a anything a pro athlete would want. Like we have PT people, strength conditioning, um, hot and cold plunge, you know, like cryo, they feed us like it's, it's so legit. It's so legit. I just, I love it mainly for like the PT part because <laughs> I didn't, you know, you don't really, really realize right. how many injuries Absolutely. you deal with on a daily basis. Um, and you don't really, you know, you, you don't have a lot of, you know, a lot of pro athletes don't have insurance. So then, you know, you just deal with it, but it's nice to have people to help us out with that. Did you ever see yourself going all the way to somewhere like Shanghai to be in a fight on television? Like when did that reality sort of kick in and you're like, holy shit, this is a, this is the real deal. This is, this is something bigger than I even anticipated. Did you ever have that moment where you're like, holy fuck, this is pretty rad. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's just, it's oh God, it's just such a fucking, it's such a wild ride because I, I just 
I think in our in our society we're so ingrained in our brains that like you go to high school, you graduate, you go to college, you get a job, you meet a boy, you get married, you have a baby, you work till you're 60, you retire. You know what I mean? Like that is so ingrained in our brains to do because that's what majority of the people do. And um, yep. I remember growing up like because I, I started out figure skating and I like I always had a dream of like man I'd be so cool if like. I could exercise for a living. Like if I could be like a full time, like in my, when I was little, I was like a full time exerciser. <laughs> That's what I called it. But, <laughs> but it's like the idea of like always improving yourself. Um, like not, you know, improving this company or this, you know, um, like just like, but like purely improving yourself and like learning and just getting better. And I don't know. It's, that's always been a dream of mine. Now, fighting for the UFC, like, yep. I never really fathomed that growing up just because women weren't in the UFC. And I just really, for some reason, just never right. saw it being a thing. Um, but, uh, yeah, man, it is like a total holy shit moment for sure. It is a totally holy shit moment. And, and it's pretty awesome that it's happening. And it, I, I think it's well-deserved. And the thing that is pretty sweet about it is the fact that you – have kept the way that you have approached it in terms of how, you know, social media gets to view you and what have you is very much as a very honest portrayal of athletics. And it's fun because there's so much that I think you're going to achieve in the sport, but at the same time, everybody gets to see it transpire. And there's something really interesting yeah. that you get to experience that I never did is the wins and losses are literally happening at the speed of light for you. So the highs and lows of your career are being broadcast around the world constantly if you choose to. And how mm -hmm. like how much different do you think that is say to my era when we didn't really fucking have Instagram, you know? Like we just did. Right. Yeah. Is it no, tough? it is. It's like it brings it to a whole nother level like Yeah. I don't know. Like I enjoy social media. I think it is great because I think that uh I mean, especially for fighters, like we're not um, fighters. Like fight, fighters come and go. It's like Ronda Rousey, for example. Like nobody really. I mean, they still talk about her, but it's not like how it used to be when you know two years ago she was the hot topic of everything. And um, it's just fighters don't really get remembered too often, which sounds really bad, but it's just true, right? Um. But yeah, it's like, because the thing that was interesting to watch as somebody that knows you and knows your family is, you know, you had your victory in Shanghai, but I also had to watch you deal with defeat on television. And, yeah. and, and that was weird for me, like not only to watch defeat, but also if we go back to even like the tough enough series, right? Like, mm -hmm. so that is very different. Like I've had my defeats in athletics and I've lost big meets that I should have won. And, and I remember losing a national title because of whatever life, but no one, no one has any recorded evidence of it. How, how difficult is that to deal with? Like, or is it even difficult at all for you? Is it, you just like, fuck it. I'll, it is what it is. I mean, it, you know, it sucks. And like different people have different approaches to it. Um, for obviously like, like for me, I, I'm, I'm more of a sensitive creature and like, man, it's, you know, it sucks. It sucks. Like, you know, getting, seeing like memes of my fucking ugly crying face uh. and like, 
you know what I mean? Me, me getting like, I don't know. It, like, like it sucks. It definitely doesn't feel good, but, um, you know, it, it's like what they say, big risk, big reward. Very true. And, you know, it's like seeing myself fucking cry in front of God and everybody. But then also I get an opportunity to see my hand, you know, raise and I'm crying happy tears, you know, like that is because that feels really good, too. Right. And and Um, inevitably people have to always keep it in check, too. It's like so some fucking guy or or girl makes some bullshit meme sitting in their basement mm -hmm. that has been afraid to, to do anything with their life other than be, you know, someone that makes memes for no apparent reason. Right. And you picked up after that defeat, you know, because your your first fight in the UFC was a defeat, unfortunately. But you're the same person that's like, fuck it. Not only am I going to win my next fight, I'm going to win my next fight in China, which is not exactly around the block. And I'm going to do it after breaking a bone in training camp. Yeah. Right. That's yeah. that's bittersweet redemption. Big risk, big reward. Right. For sure. Yeah. And and that's Go ahead. And but but I, I would say that that's what I think. Um, a lot of like, a lot of fighters like deal with so many highs and lows because like we don't get to play you know however many games a year for you know like for football or baseball or whatever. Like we get to we get to perform like maybe two to four times if we're lucky and fortunate enough and healthy enough to fight that often. So it's like I feel like those performances are so heightened emotionally and like adrenaline and i agree a hundred percent it's like if you were to take a sport and divide the number of hours you train by the number of seconds minutes or whatever that you compete and whatever that equation is you know so you know like take somebody that runs 100 meters at the olympics right in nine seconds Mm -hmm. so how many years they train for that. You take your situation where maybe you get into a fight and, and you win by a knockout in the first 45 seconds. Well, you still take that entire amount of training and divide it by that 40 seconds. And, and the percentage or magnitude of importance that that 45 seconds becomes, it's pretty astronomical. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. There's not a lot of room for error there. Or, God forbid, you get tapped out just by coincidence of the moment and the fight's over mm-hmm. in 10 seconds, holy shit, yeah. right? Like you're not even injured and you've had all this time expended. Right. It's a huge emotional cost. And yeah. And I don't think people fully grasp that when, they, when they're watching from the sidelines like a fucking meme-making troll that isn't putting yeah. any of the energy into it, you know? Yeah. Now, how important is it, like, in terms of, like, your training and your fighting, in terms of preparation, to be around? And and I talk about cutting away or cutting out external influence in terms of manifesting success. Like, eventually, to be truly successful, you have a tendency to have to be a little bit introverted. Now, I always say it doesn't mean you pull the blinds and hide in your basement, but you turn inwards to only those that are sort of on the same path as you. How big of a part does that play in, in, in a fighter's life or even an athlete's life, in your opinion? Um, honestly, I think it's a, it's a huge... It's a... Yeah, I, I definitely... I definitely don't have a lot of friends. Um, <laughs> but, like, I don't know. It, it's 
I totally like to indulge myself into whatever I'm passionate about. And, um, obviously fighting is what I'm passionate about. And so it's, I like to have people around me that will make me better, Yep. you know? Um, you know, they always say you, you're as good as your people you surround yourself with or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. You're pretty much, you got I, it. But I really believe that's, I really believe that's true though, because it's like, you know, if I'm like, if I'm hanging out with a guy, you know, but he, you know, he doesn't like to exercise or eat well. And, you know, I, I can't always be the strong one. He was like, Oh, you want to go with donuts? Like, Oh yeah, I'm going to go with donuts. Right. But if I, if I'm hanging out with people who are, you know, want to better me and better my career and like, Hey, let's go to salad or like, you know, it's just, right. It just kind of makes like somebody that is actually thinking bigger picture, not instant gratification. Right. Like, hundred percent. Yeah. People that want to be surrounded with, you know, and people get a little bit weird about this, but you know, there is a championship mentality that does exist in this life. And Mm -hmm. that championship mentality doesn't always come with a lot of unicorns and rainbows attached to it. It's a little gritty. It can be a little, a little rough around the edges at times because you have a tendency to have to make more sacrifices than accommodation. And, and that mm-hmm. includes people. It's not just, you know, choosing salad over ice cream. It's also choosing this human being over that human being. Mm-hmm. And when that starts to happen, I think for people, it, it can be tough for them to, to be around. But at the end of the day, do you want to be the one that in your sport is getting their hand raised or getting picked up? it's right there's a huge difference in the consequence of that you know um in terms of like how you and your brother got into this world how did you know like how did you both and i know matt you know your other brother was also very much into jujitsu at one time how did you guys sort of fall into this world let alone all three of you yeah, you know, it is kind of bizarre, and it's funny because, like, my parents don't fight. Right. <laughs> my, you know, like, we didn't really – that wasn't like a – they never, like, pushed it on us. Like, my dad was, like, a big, like, you know, would-be pride fan at the time, like, when we were younger. Like, we I don't know why. I just think – I think part of it was, like, growing up, I wanted to be friends with my brothers, and so I was like, oh, this is cool, too. And, right. You know, I kind of, like, tagged along, but – I, I do remember like going to Blockbuster and renting like the Pride old Pride VHSs and we're also into like WWE WWF at the time. Yep. But uh, you know, it was but yeah, it, it was just bizarre because Matt yeah, Matt started jujitsu and then um Dave started doing it and then they're like, Oh Gina, you should do this for self defense and I just fucking fell in love with it. Right. Um and yeah, and it, it's bizarre because it's like, I, like Dave, you know, you know, Dave and I, like, we're not like violent people. We're not mean people. Or no, I don't not know. at all. Not even mean spirited. <laughs> it, it's um, it, and it's funny because you know I saw Dave's transition from collegiate track and field athlete. He went back to Alaska, became a school teacher for a while, and then this metamorphosis into mixed martial arts developed for him quite later in life in a lot of regards. Mm-hmm. So, how old were you when you started as compared to, say, Matt and Dave? Um, I first started training when I was 17, and I had my first fight when I, was, when I turned 18. I got the shit kicked out of me. But it was still... 
<laughs> but you still basically put your put your ability to the test very early on. Yeah. Was that something yeah, that you... I thought it was really good. <laughs> was it purely that? Did you really think that you were just badass or did you need... I really did. Yeah? You just were I like, fuck, I'm, I'm going to win. And then it didn't... Yeah. yeah. Well, that's... I, that was like my worst... I think that was my worst ass beating I ever got. Like, I, I remember coming home feeling like shit and then like ha- i definitely had a concussion i was like throwing up all night like uh it was awful were you just, just extremely outmatched or was she just a tough chick she was she was a lot bigger than me like at the time i was walking around like 145 yep and uh and she weighed at like 170 70 something and she was like and she looked like a like an older lady yep. like you know, like a school teacher and she had like shoulder pads in her jacket and I'm like oh you like I was like a wily little shit 18 year old and I was like oh yeah I'll fight her that's fine I don't care if she's bigger and I remember she like took her jacket off in the in the ring it was a boxing fight and uh her delts were like bigger than my brother's I was like oh it was just awful so so but basic she didn't like knock me out or anything I just got my just got your bell run so yeah. were you basically fighting like out behind a truck stop or was it a little more organized than that? It was slightly more organized slightly. than that, but yeah, that's about the same. That's pretty similar. So, They're called Thursday Night at the Fights. Thursday Night at the Fights. Every small town probably has one somewhere. Oh, for sure. And yours included a woman with deltoids the size of Dave's head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she was huge. She was huge. Lesson learned. Was she a nice lady or was she equally as... She was nice, yeah. yeah. Nice enough, yeah. yeah. Equally as miserable. Yeah. So when, yeah. so after having that experience and you're just like, wow, I got a concussion. I had my bell rung by a chick with gigantic deltoids. Was it like, uh, you know what? I'm going to get really, really good at this shit. Or was it sort of like a, hmm, am I making a mistake? Like what was... Oh, no, I'm... I'm uh... I was very, very motivated to just get better. Just get better. And that's... Yeah, I think I'm... Yeah, I'm super competitive. Yep. And, like, I don't really like not being good at stuff. You... <laughs> so... You, especially stuff that I like. Like, I really enjoy training. I really enjoy jujitsu. Yep. And I really enjoyed hitting shit. And so I was like, I want to be a lot better at hitting shit because this is so much fun. Yeah. And I suck at it. Exactly. <laughs> and you got that high emotional charge earlier in your career to make you be like, all right, fuck, that's not happening twice. Right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. exactly. Now, I know that I read somewhere that you took like three years off in your fighting career. Is that correct? Like where you didn't have a fight for three years? Yeah. And that's when I was going to school and I was working a lot. And it was just, it was, I was still training. Like I, I still competed in like jujitsu tournaments and stuff. And, um, but I wasn't, I, I never got a fight right. during those years, which, which I were, I really wish I would have just grinded it out a little more and, uh, was a little more active yep. um, in hindsight. But, um, you know, whatever. I had my main focus was school at the time because that's expensive. It is expensive, <laughs> you know, and it's you got to commit to a couple things at a time sometimes, and that that's just priority. But when you sort of like really started to to find your feet, especially in mixed martial arts, how does like because it is a new sport, especially for female athletes, how does that feel to you? Like, how does it feel being a female athlete? in a sport where you guys are still pretty much on the way up from, from the start of the thing. It, you know, it's not like there's been, you know, we can talk about Ronda Rousey, but fuck, that's still not that long ago that she came and went. Right. You know? Yeah. And so how, like three or four years ago. how does it feel like identifying not only as a female athlete, but as a female fighting athlete? 
Um, you know, it definitely feels good. I, the The only thing is that is uh, I think that in the next, I mean, the next probably 10, 15 years, like definitely the caliber of, of women is going to skyrocket. Right. Uh, but not only that, I I think by then there might be a little bit more of like a union for the UFC athletes, sure. which is something I really wish that was something now. Yep. Um, but that aspect aside, like, I think it's pretty fucking cool. I, I'm I'm more so happy that I'm able to do what I love to do, and like I look forward to Monday through Friday, post the weekend. Like, right? That's I, I'm main thing is that like, I'm really happy, and that's so nice and some like kind of rare. I think. Yeah. Like really love my job. To to truly love a pursuit in life, and and I think there's so many people that they just go through life, or life actually just sort of happens to them, and then one day they grow old and die, right? And yeah, it, it, that's sort of a sad thing, and, and it's it's always been a bit of a driving force for me. And I was definitely going to ask you about this because it seemed like something that we have always had um, similar about our personalities when it comes to how we've chased this, and Dave as well is somewhere along the way we had something either happen to us or something that sort of stimulated that decision to be like, okay, I can be old when I'm old, but I only have this really small and fragile window to take advantage of this one very unique thing. And for you, how do you sort of guide that? Like, how do you keep people at bay? And how do you keep on this on this path of, fuck, I got to use this opportunity right now, no matter what, before it passes like yeah when did you identify it for one and make the choice and how have you sort of stayed in that pocket ever since um honestly like i this is on stupid yeah. but i remember it was a couple months before i moved to or before i made the move to vegas yep. but i was like talking to my manager at my job and uh we had a 401k or i had a 401k which i should probably look into it but i remember like I didn't know what that was at the time, sure. which is kind of embarrassing, yeah. but like, I, I, I don't know. I, I didn't know. And um, like, Oh, it's, you know, for your retirement and this and that. And like, Oh, when do I get it? Like, Oh, when you're, you know, like 65 or whatever, whenever you want to pull it out, I guess you can pull it out whenever. Yep. But um, I remember like thinking that's such bullshit because it's like, I'm tuckering away my, I, it's not bullshit, but it's I like, I know exactly what you mean. You keep, yeah, keep going and, with and I it. I was like, I was like, I was like, I feel like I'm just like working to save to retire. Right. Like, I don't want to like, I'm young and I can, like, I, I'm like, I'm young. I want to do shit right now. Like, I don't understand why I should be working my whole life to retire. Like, right. I'm gonna have way more fun doing this when I'm younger. Like, going to Thailand or something when I'm 60. Like, that would be cool, but it'd be way more fun to do it when I'm. You know, in my 20s. 100%. Like, and, and there is a weird dichotomy there because I think you're saying something that resonates a lot with people in, in our generation that is going on right now. So our, our parents' generation was get out of high school, have some kids, work your fucking ass off. And if you're lucky, you'll have saved up enough in retirement that you can maybe get out of the gig at 58, probably 65. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then you don't have to work in your golden years, as they say. And then they sell all that bullshit. Like you're going to hop on fucking planes, boats and trains and start traveling the world at 65. Right. Yeah. Almost nobody does that. 
Okay. Yeah. For one, you're 60 fucking five. Okay. So if you've worked literally for 45 years nonstop, there's a part of you that's just like, man, I just sort of don't want to do anything. Mm -hmm. Right. And you're old, right? You're, uh, you know, everyone tries to downplay age, right? Like, no, 65 is the new 50. Yeah. For some people, for the rest of people, 65 is 65. You know, it depends what you got to do with your life. If you worked in the mill or you worked in a mine, 65 is 85, you know, you're Mm -hmm. fucked. And so I, I always tell people, it's like, you know, my dad, my dad is very much that conservative era. You know, he worked very, very hard right out of, you know, trade school until the day he, he retired. And I remember we were having a conversation when I didn't know if I should pursue athletics, right? Like the stupid decision or not. And Mm -hmm. my dad said one thing, and I thought it was quite interesting because he was that conservative generation, is he's like, no matter what decision you make, the day that you decide to stop, you're going to work for the rest of your life. Yeah. And I was like, ooh. It's heavy. Yeah, you're (laughs) right. It is heavy. And I was like, he's correct. It doesn't matter if it's today or in four years, but this is not work. Whatever this, it may be hard as fuck and you may, you may have a loss and you may have this and you may have that, but it's not work. You're not getting up Monday morning, dreading Wednesday afternoon and praying for Friday, you know, Mm -hmm. but the day it comes to an end, um, and you have had a tremendous career, I'm hoping it's one that allows you some freedoms after sports, but whatever it is, it does become work again. And, and that's what you'll be. Like I would rather have to work a little more from 40 to 65 and had a really good 30 than, right. Right, than to have this fucking terrible 30 and a, like seven more dollars to go to fucking Tim Hortons when I'm 65, you know? <laughs> right. right? Yeah. So, I don't know, but th- that's how I've always looked at it. And I've always gotten the feeling that you're very much the same way and how you're pursuing this period of your life. You know? Yeah, it's just it's like that stupid saying like uh, live every day like it's your last. Yeah, which is you know that is a legit thing. Like it's just I don't understand why you shouldn't love what you do or you know enjoy majority of your time. Like right, do you know do I don't know? Just it's just it just trips me out when people are like, oh my god! Like I remember when I first moved, um, I had a lot of people at my work kind of be like what are you doing like this is so stupid and now they're like oh my god i'm so jealous i wish i could do that and like you know i'm stuck here working and it's you know it's like taking taking that leap of being comfortable with being uncomfortable yes you know it's uh a lot of i feel like a lot of people are super scared of that which i understand but i mean but isn't it amazing how quickly judgment subsides once you have proven to people and, and it's and the worst part is is you knew you were going to be successful on some level, but you still have to go through the process of proving to the people around you that the decision that you made was the right one. And then the moment that the moment that you do, the moment your hand is raised in China, the moment that you're successful, the moment that you've shown up on television, everybody's like, Oh my God, I wish I could have. Or I wish I yeah. I wish I could be you. And my response is always like, well, motherfucker, you could be. 
You, yeah. you could be. Now, I get it. Not everybody's going to fight in the UFC. That's just a fact. That is a hard fact. Just like not everybody's going to the NFL, not everybody's going to the Olympics. Mm-hmm. But you still didn't know that you were going to be a UFC fighter. So if you had only gone off of that external pressure of, hey, not very many people make it in the UFC, well, fuck, yeah, you'd still be in Seattle cranking out artwork for a graphic design company. Yeah. Right? And yeah. and the truth is, and, and this is my opinion, and tell me if I'm full of shit, but you could retire from fighting tomorrow. And you still can go back to being a graphic designer. Hell yeah. And that's exactly why I did it. Exactly. Right. And, and that's what people have to remember is this window, the athletic window, the, the ability to be that physical representation of yourself is a very small window. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, <laughs> there's not very many Tom Brady's playing for fucking 63 years, right? Like right. it just yeah. doesn't exist. And, and that's the nature of it, right? And if you do well enough and, and inspire and produce, you know, the reality is, is it'll probably become your career when you finish mm-hmm. in one form or another. Yeah. You know? So in terms of like what's coming down the pipe for you, what is going on in terms of your upcoming fight schedules, training schedules? Has there been anything that you can even talk about? Or is it just prepare, prepare, prepare for the phone call? Um, well, right yeah, right now I'm just kind of working on expanding my skill set and just getting better in you know, any way I can. Yep. Um, I don't have anything lined up. Uh, I, it's, it's, a, it's a weird process where you like you literally – like text the matchmaker and you're like, Hey, I want to fight and hope oh, we don't have anything ready for you. And so I've been doing that for ever since my last fight. Yep. Cause I, you know, I feel good. I'm for the most part injury free and, uh, I'm just, I'm ready. Um, so actually what I'm going to do is go ahead and maybe, uh, do a little bit more research and name out a good game plan for the matchmaker so that, uh, I can maybe, you know, jump up the line to get in a fight, like make his job a little bit easier. Absolutely. Uh, Sell him on the uh, fact that you're a sellable athlete. Yeah. And that I like, I actually want it and I'll work hard and you know, whatever, but it's, yeah, nothing, nothing really coming up. I am going to do a a kettlebell competition at the end of February. Absolutely. Uh, Tell us about that a little bit. Cause we talked about it right before the call started. Break that down for us. Yeah. I, uh, I I don't know. I've, I've always loved kettlebells. Like I've always just, I don't know. It's just, it's always such a, I don't know, functional fucking great workout. Um, and I, I've always done them on my own. My brothers does these, uh, he does like the long cycle kettlebell competitions. Yep. And so I, uh, I ended up signing up for like the try, I guess they call it the triathlon one. Sure. So I'm going to do three different lifts each day, but it'll be long cycle for 10 minutes. So first days, um, double kettlebell swing uh to clean and jerk i think okay and then the next one's jerk and then the third day is snatch now just for Uh, people that may not have any clue what is a long cycle kettlebell competition as compared to something else what is the basic description of that uh basically 10 minutes of where you um uh however many you can complete the lifts uh but you cannot set the kettlebell down so I'm going to do 12 kilos, which is about 25 pounds. So for the double kettlebell, it'll be like, you know, 50 pounds total. But it, 
it's really fucking hard. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like kind of, I'm kind of nervous. Like, but I, I don't know. I like, cause I like that kind of, cause stuff. that gets into a little bit of a gut check situation, right? Where you're trying to compete, you're trying to get a lot of repetitions. So by default, that's exhausting, but then it's also duration based, right? So it's like, it's almost like you're in a fight because you know, you're trapped. You don't want to quit. You don't want to set it down, but you don't want to stop moving. So it's like the only way out is to, to, in a sense to quit. And that's a real mind fuck. Like that is a Mm -hmm. brutal, brutal way to compete. Right. Like any, anybody can ring the bell, but God knows you don't want to. Right. Like you'd rather do fucking one rep and just stand there holding them like luggage instead of, of tapping out of that. Right. Right. Everything about that sounds excruciating. Now, when you incorporate your, uh, your strength and conditioning into your fight training, how much like non-specific fight conditioning do you do right now? Um, as at like, not like, yeah. like wrestling cardio, like yeah. non-wrestling cardio. And- Let's call it like, uh, how much cardio and things that include barbells, dumbbells, and kettlebells? Um, so all my strength conditioning that they do at the UFCPI, it's all, it's nice cause he literally builds a program around like what I need improvement on. Now who's what who's I your strength need. coach there? Uh, both, uh, oh gosh, his last name, Sal, Salva, Salvador, Salvador. Absolutely. He, uh, I was actually on a podcast today with, a, a former Navy SEAL who's good friends with him. He's okay. highly, highly, highly recommended strength coach. You're in very good hands. Oh, he's, yeah. Yeah. He's, he's amazing. Like he, he, he saved me for my last fight, him and, uh, Heather Linden, the PT gal, when I, when I broke my, my toe or my foot or whatever. Yep. Um, Cause I had to do all my cardio from my, sitting on my ass. Cause right. I couldn't walk on my, I was on crutches. So it's like, he was able to still get me a gas tank where I could go three hard rounds. And, um, yeah, he, he's awesome. He is, he's the shit. Yeah. He, he, I've never met him. Um, I only know him through reputation and I know that he comes highly, highly recommended by people that I would consider top level in, in our industry regardless of sporting background yeah yeah he's he's awesome and so i guess i i cut you off because we started down another tangent but so how much time are you spending in his weight room a week oh um right now i just have it scheduled tuesdays and thursdays in the morning like yep uh so i spend about two hours or an hour with him each time yep so two hours a week but uh perfect yeah it's 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 perfect to, like I said, the change of scenery, something out, some, some sort of other kind of, uh, athletic stimulant type thing. Yep. Uh, but no, it's, it's good. And when you think of like aspects of your own fight game that you want to improve, what are things right now from a self-evaluation standpoint? You're like, these are areas that I'm going to dramatically change before my next fight. And they're going to put me up another level yet again. Um, I want it. So my main goal when I came to Vegas is like, I really, it's and that's not miss. This may sound silly, but I want to be really fucking good at the basics. Yep. You know what I mean? Like I want to be where like, I can show you a perfect, you know, one, two, three combo or a perfect double leg or a perfect single leg. Um, right. And, and I, and not saying that I'm, I'm by no means is my game perfect, by, but I have, I feel like I've gotten all the, you know, strict basics down. Um, yep. 
now I feel like I want to add a little bit more funk to my game. Yeah. To where I think a lot of girl, a lot of the women that fight in the UFC, or I mean, a lot of women fighters um, are pretty. Um, like we're all really good at the basics, right? Um, there's, there's not a lot where I'm like, you know, there's no like female Khabibs. There's no, you know, right? Like, I, I, I don't know. I would like to really excel my, my, uh, my skill set to a little bit. I just want to add a little more like funk to my game. Have that almost is, like intuitive creativity based on rock solid basics where you can start throwing things that people just can't anticipate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes a lot just, of sense. Uh, yeah. So it's just, uh, just, you know, and it's improvement everywhere. with like my hands, my wrestling, my grappling. Yep. Um, so yeah, that's what I'm focused on right now. And outside of the ring, what do you do right now as an athlete to be able to afford the amount of time that you train, like how do you balance out your life in terms of, do you have sponsors that are picking up some of the bill now? Are you still very much the like journey woman athlete where you're working a full-time job and still cranking out an elite level schedule of training? Well, so before I, I got signed to the UFC, I was, uh, I was working at a bar yep. and I was working at a bar specifically to make as much money as I could in a short amount of time. And um, in case I got an opportunity like getting signed to the UFC where I could take time off. Yep. Um, so I was, I did pretty well with working there and being smart with my money. Yep. Um, so then I, you know, had the opportunity where I could, when I got the Sarah McMahon call, I was able to, um, uh, I was able to take time off of work and just focus on that. And then right now I'm just kind of like living off of my last fight paycheck to you know until my next one which which just kind of makes me nervous a little bit because i've always i've i've worked since i was 15 years old or 16 or something like that uh and so i've never really not had a job before but um, but i gotta put right now but right now but you're right now my, you're waiting on it right but i gotta say this is sort of interesting right because fuck and i think this is really important that people get this part because you're somebody that went to university, got a university degree, put a career on hold to pursue an athletic endeavor in a sport that is brand new to female athletes. There's a lot of firsts. There's a lot of risk for you. But at the same time, you got to the UFC while maintaining a fucking job to support your athleticism. And we got all these people making a million excuses as to why they can't do something or can't do another. And like you said, you've worked since you were 15. Like that is it. it, I always talk about athletes when you get to know them, what is the thing that separates them from everybody else? And there's always stuff, right? Intellect, these weird attributes of physical ability or the fact Mm -hmm. that, you just nonchalantly throw it in that you were probably working until three in the fucking morning so that you could crush a full-time athletic career. Yeah. Right. And it was, yeah. And it was, it, it was so hard. It was, it was honestly such a pain in the ass. And, but I'm really happy that I, I did go through that and I did, you know, experiencing sitting in cigarette smoke for eight to 10 hours a day. And, you know, being around drunk people who are eating cheeseburgers and right. Well, you know, well, you're like, trying to get ready for a fight. Yeah, and 
like, and it made me just feel so thankful that like now I have the opportunity where I am eligible to fight for a promotion that can pay me enough to where I don't have to, you know, work. I don't have to serve beer and whiskey, you know, every day. Like, and, and, you know, like I enjoy, I, like I enjoyed bartending, but it was just like, it was so unideal for an athlete. Like, right. It was, I would literally leave, I would, you know, when you go camping and like all your stuff smells like campfire. Absolutely. Like I would leave the bar and everything would smell like cigarette smoke. It's And I'm like, I just sat in so much cigarette smoke that I'm sure it doesn't do well in your lungs. You know, it's like. Absolutely not. You're washing it out of your hair for the next three days only to yeah. go back to work and get smoked out again. Yeah, exactly. But you still, you still made the sacrifice, right? And it's nice to see it paying off. It's nice to see. From my perspective, it's nice to see somebody that is getting success and getting rewarded for their hard work and getting the recognition while at the same time can sit back and be like, oh, by the way, nobody gave me a fucking handout. So not only am I fighting to be a better fighter and not only do I fight to get better at my sport, but my whole persona is that of somebody that is a fighter. And that is pretty commendable. And I think regardless, male or female, I think a lot of people need to hear stories like yours and have a bit of a fucking reality check where it's like, listen, if you want to get to the guts of it and you really want to do something, you're going to have to fucking suck it up and and ditch your I don't like cigarette smoke mentality or I only eat fucking gluten free. Like all these little hiccups, right? Little tiny hiccups that people use that at the end of the day in my soapbox moment are just attitudes of failure. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know? Or laziness. 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 Yeah. Looking for that fraction of an inch that they they, they can take to have an excuse as to why they weren't successful yeah, or why opportunity passed them by. No, it didn't pass you by. You just weren't willing to, to grab onto it hard enough. Right. Yeah. Now there's one side to what you do in Las Vegas that I think is fucking amazing that I have yet to, to get to see or partake in. So as many times as we've had this conversation, I'll say it again, I need to get to Las Vegas, but yeah, yeah is, <laughs> the wrestling yeah talk to me a little bit before you have to go about you and your brother getting into wrestling so like dave dave and my brother matt like they've always been into I, like i've always enjoyed it um but they actually wrestled like when we were in high school or when they were in high school i was in junior high or whatever yep. um and and then when when we got out to vegas uh there was a local wrestling spot and one of our good buddies jack manley and uh remy were uh like the the head people of it there and so we went over there and checked it out and uh and dave's done a couple shows like oh Gina, you should like last minute like oh we want to throw you in there and i'm like okay like what do you guys like what should what what do i do you know and i remember they uh got out the crash pad and they're like okay you're gonna do do a suplex which like i know how to do a suplex right I don't know how to do like a friendly suplex or, you know, one where I'm not going to like really toss him on his head. Trash your partner. Um, right. And so I, you know, they showed me how to, how to do it. And I basically like just went out and just, it, it, it was, it's like playtime. I don't know. My brother and I always fuck around as it is. So it's like, it was like pretty normal, you know, right. but, um, 
it was it was it was a lot of fun. We've done a couple shows together. We're like a tag team, uh, tag team partners, and he's Dave the Pain Train, and I'm Gina Danger, and we you know we play the uh, fighter gimmick thing, brother sister, and absolutely, um, it's a lot of fucking fun though. It's really fun. I think it's amazing. And okay, hypothetically speaking, you get a call tomorrow from the WWE. Do you take hell yeah? You take that call, yeah. Hell yeah. Oh, <laughs> well, I mean, the thing is, like, they. I think I'm pretty sure, like, they get insurance. They get paid a hell of a lot more than we do. And I know if I'm going to win or if I'm going to lose, like, yeah. Damn. There's no more emotional hijinks as to the, yeah. you know, that you're going to go yeah. through. Well, no crying on the way home. No crying on the way home. <laughs> Hopefully, the concussions will be dealt with by a medical professional, right? Right. <laughs> For real. So before I let you go. What is the easiest way for people that are intrigued to to follow you and sort of just keep an eye on your training and everything that you're doing? What's the what's the easiest way to get after Gina Danger Mazzani? Um, I am a big Instagrammer, uh, usually Instagram and uh, occasionally Twitter, but uh, my handle's Gina Danger A K G I N A D A N G E R A K. Got it. Uh, yeah. And that's and they can keep up to date with your training, your fight schedule, and just basic you being awesome on Instagram. And then videos of my dog, of course. You know what my one of my all time favorite Instagram videos of all time is? And and I try to go back and find it, but I can't, so you might have to send it to me. Is when you're driving down the street and you get too close to the bushes and cat sticks its head out the window and eats yeah. the tree. Right? Oh, that's so good. <laughs> it's one of the greatest cool videos ever. Yeah. <laughs> So oh, that one's so good. So I'll tell you what, anybody that's so listening handsome. to this, if you want to see the adventures of Gina Danger Mazzani, Cat the Dog, and Bob the Cat, now, now you know where to go. It's so real. You can't make that up. It's so real. Well, I just want to say a huge thank you for jumping on my podcast as I get this thing rolling. And uh, yeah, absolutely. I look forward to seeing you kick some more ass in the future. Hell yeah, absolutely. Come to Vegas. I will for sure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Ecobolic Radio. For more information about upcoming guests and episodes, please follow Derek Woodsky on his Instagram or at DerekWoodsky.com. 